I invite you to take your Bibles, would you, and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 27. Our text for this morning is actually the last two verses of chapter 26 all the way through to the end of 27. That's a lot of verses, 46, 48 verses. Uh, I'm not going to read it all this morning. That's what we're going to give our attention to. Um, So, like I said, quite lengthy. Um, We'll get into it, and I'll read certain parts of it. Uh, I want to unpack it together, uh, so I encourage you to keep your Bible open on your lap or, I guess, on your phone. You can look at where we are. Let's uh, pray before we get into it. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you that you have breathed out this word by your spirit, that you inspired men to write these words down. They are living, they are active, and they're for us. They penetrate to the very heart of our being. And we want you to do that work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. Be gracious to us now and change us, even as we sang. Change our hearts, O God. Make us ever new. Mold us, make us, transform us, cause us to reflect the very character of Christ. And Lord, um, as a proclaimer, I need your grace to speak only what is helpful for your people. So guard my lips and my mind even as I speak. But also, Lord, would you grant us uh, grace to hear. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us, that the Lord Jesus himself may be glorified. We ask it in his name. Amen. I I had arranged with a a local company to replace a couple of windows on the patio door on my my house because there was some rot in the door. I paid a deposit back on June 7th. Now, at that time, I I was shocked when they said they didn't, the install date was the first week of February. Well, I still don't have the windows, and I don't have the door. Uh, supply chain, I guess. That's the issue, right? Well, we know this. When we make plans and promises, they can easy, easily be thwarted, right? They're thwarted by things far outside our own control, supply chain, or what have you, our own failures, our own weakness. But with God, what is true, what we learn from the scripture, with God, nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing can derail his promise. Nothing can change the timing that he has planned. And we find that he accomplishes his purposes, even though, even though participants in his purposes may act in unrighteous and very unholy ways. The text that we have before us, I'm, I'm going to give you a broad overview of this section in Genesis. But before I do that, I want to remind you that this is a part of a larger story. And we've been recently, as we've been moving through Genesis, beginning with, um, of course, beginning with Adam and Eve and creation. But, But in this most recent section, we've been talking about Abraham and how God promised to him that he would be a great nation, that he would ultimately possess Uh, His numerous descendants, I should say, would possess the land of Canaan as their own inheritance. Abraham had eight sons in total, but only only Isaac was the son of the promise. Now, where we are in this text, Isaac has been given two sons, twin boys. But only one of those sons will be the namesake of this people. And the, the fulfillment of that promises 
those promises, that promise to Abraham that the Lord made, the fulfillment of that hinges on which of the two sons gets the blessing. So let me give you a, an overview of this section. Uh, end of 26. At the end of chapter 26 there, we are told that Esau, one of the two sons of Isaac, there's Isaac, uh, Esau, the elder, Jacob, the younger, they were twin boys. Esau came out first. Well, Esau has taken Hittite women to be his wives. And we're told in the text there that these wives made life bitter for both Isaac and Rebekah. Chapter 27, uh, the beginning of that, Isaac summons Esau. He tells him that he wants to bless him. To do so, to receive this blessing, he is to go and hunt and prepare a meal of wild game. That's 1 through 4. One, uh, 5 through 17. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, overhears this conversation. Uh, he hears Isaac, and because she herself favors Jacob over Esau, she then devises this plan to gain for Jacob to gain the blessing in, her, in his brother's place. And what this involves is the killing of a goat from the herd, and then Jacob wearing uh, Esau's clothing, but also using the skins of the goat to cover his arms so that he would appear hairy like his brother. And this is only possible. This, this deception that they're planning is only possible uh, because Isaac is old and nearly blind. Verses 18 through, 18 through 29, Jacob carries out the plan and he is successful. Isaac is deceived, and Jacob gets the blessing. Right after this, this is verses 30 through 40, right after this, Jacob leaves his father's presence. Esau then shows up with the assumption that with the spoils of his hunt, he is seeking now his father's blessing. Isaac then discovers the deception. Esau, in his disappointment, wails at having been supplanted by his brother and begs his father for a blessing. Isaac then gives what amounts uh, to an anti-blessing, a curse of sorts. Verses 41 through 45, Esau, in response to all of that has gone on, Esau expresses his hatred for his brother Jacob. And he must have said this out loud. He determines to kill him after his father has died. Rebecca overhears this, tells Jacob it's time to flee to her brother Laban. Verse 46, the end of our, our passage, Rebecca then laments to Jacob that she loathes her life because of the Hittite women that Esau has married. And she concludes that life would not be worth living if Jacob did the same thing. Now that's leading us to, to somewhere next where Jacob finds a wife. But for now, for now, we're dealing with this text of scripture. Now, I've just given you an overview. I realize that. Uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll dive into certain parts of it and read them. But from our Bible text this morning, with the overview in mind, I want you to see this morning how, how God fulfills his promise, all the while enfolding the sinful attitudes and actions of men. How God accomplishes his purposes in fulfilling his promise, all the while enfolding the sinful attitudes and actions of man. And I've chosen three words, really, uh, I guess, to anchor our, our discussion through this, really observation points from the story. And I've alliterated this, so here we go. The three words, bitterness, blindness, and blessing. Bitterness, blindness, and blessing. First, 
bitterness. Uh, for Kathy and me, and maybe some of you experienced this, our, our COVID experience, and that's not now, our COVID experience was actually quite mild. Uh, we didn't have the fever, we just had a little cough and a little fatigue. It was like getting a cold for us, but that was a year ago, Christmas, so that was quite a while ago. On, on that, so this is uh, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before. That Christmas day when we had found out our, our test results, uh, we told the kids, you got to stay away. But we had prepared this Christmas meal. We had decided that we were going to cook up a very nice beef tenderloin. We cooked it anyway. Uh, but our experience was we couldn't taste a thing. We were basically very expensive cut of meat. Felt like eating cardboard. But be that as it may, we gave some to the kids. It felt like a great waste of a, a good cut of beef. Anyway, but I would say this, though, that the worst part of our COVID experience, or my COVID experience, was losing taste. But then when it came back... Maybe some of you have experienced this. It was off. Maybe 10 months I experienced this. Things literally tasted like rotting garbage. It's a strange experience when there's some beautiful food before and you put it in your mouth and go, that's kind of funky. It's just weird. That was, that was really disconcerting. I know a lot of you got very ill, so, and, and, and I understand that. But that bitterness, that, that experience, it's something that's distasteful and unpleasant. Now that word Bitterness that can be thought of as both physical, of course, like my COVID symptom, but also psychological, conflict, resentment, frustration, suffering of all kinds, and sin that makes for a very bitter experience. In our Bible story, there are many examples of bitterness. Esau, for example, seemed to have little regard for Isaac and Rebekah. And I take it that it was a bitterness of spirit. And that lack of regard on Esau's part extended to God's promise to Abraham that extended to Isaac. So the promise God made to Abraham and that Isaac had received, Esau had little regard for that. Now, it mattered to Isaac and Rebekah who Esau would take as a wife. Isaac himself did not find his wife, Rebecca, among the pagan Canaanites. Rather, he found his wife among the relatives back in Haran. But Esau carried, cared little about that. We're told in the text, verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, we're not told why, but I think we can surmise that these daughters of pagans did not share the same values, did not care about the promises of God. I think we can surmise that that, that was troubling to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Isaac, uh, sorry, Esau's attitude here is not surprising. Uh, you recall back in Genesis 25 how Esau sold his birthright. He sold his birthright for a pot of stew. It says there that Esau despised his birthright. That is to say, he cared little about Isaac. He cared little about God's blessing through him. But beyond Esau, there was also, I would say, a bitterness on the part of Rebekah and Jacob. In deceiving their father, or I should say, in deceiving Isaac, Jacob deceiving his father, but Rebekah planting that, that idea in his mind and really uh, creating the scenario. 
that sin is obvious. Now, we can certainly understand Rebecca's motivation for proposing this to Jacob. She had received an oracle from the Lord about her sons before they were born. And I'll take you back to Genesis chapter 25. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And she felt this, this jostling in her womb, fighting. It was violence, the collision, right? And she was told by, by the Lord that there are two nations, two peoples. They will be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this promise from the Lord was by no means permission for Jacob to lie to Isaac. And he did it twice. So this bitterness, this sinful attitude that's welling up in him as a result of Rebecca and, and this, this plan that they devised, verses 18 and 19, Jacob walks in pretending to be Esau to Isaac's presence. Isaac says, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's the first lie. When Jacob, asked, oh, sorry, when Isaac asked Jacob how he was able to hunt and kill and prepare the game so quickly, Jacob invoked the Lord, verse 20, because the Lord your God granted me success. There's something that's terribly devious about this and sinful. And what that did was that that just resulted in more anger and resentment, bitterness. See, when Esau found out what his brother Jacob had done, verse 41, it says this, now Esau hated Jacob, because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother, Jacob. But looking at all of this, this collection of characters here, Esau, Rebecca, and Jacob, by their attitudes and actions, produced and experienced bitterness. And what this demonstrates to us is that there are distasteful consequences to sin. Sin leads to more sin. And this is just simply true, and I need to take this to heart. What is behind sin, all kinds of sin, is simply a lack of trust in God. God says, here's the path of obedience. Here's the path of holiness. Sin is when we say, you know, I don't, I don't think that's true. I want to do something different. It's a lack of trust in God. Back to the garden, right? God told Adam, eat any tree, but this one tree, you shall not eat of it. One tree, one prohibition. And what did they do? They zeroed in on that tree. They said, you know what? I'm, I'm not so sure God knows what he's talking about. And they took and ate. Sin leads to more sin. Rebecca, Esau, Jacob's sin was that they were simply not trusting God. Again, for Esau, he saw no value in God's promise. But for Rebekah and Jacob, they didn't trust that God would ultimately fulfill his promise without their help. They didn't believe it. They thought they needed to take actions into their own hands. Now, I think Rebekah and Jacob in particular serve as examples for us, negative examples for us as Christians today. Not to do, what not to do. You see, as believers, we desire something good, correct? but going about it the wrong way. Desiring something good, but going about it the wrong way. So let me just give you an example here. So parents, you want your children to obey, 
but in, in seeking their obedience to belittle and harass and exasperate them. A righteous desire with an unrighteous means. Maybe you want justice for a wrong done to you, but instead you take it upon yourself. Or maybe you feel ignored and you tear the other person down. Now, marriages are a, are a perfect way to, to see this on display, right? One does something wrong, the other responds with, a, with wrong, something wrong. And we get this. It's, it, it, we're always so tempted. Sin begets sin. The bitterness is obvious here. Well, the second heading I have is blindness. Blindness. Now, I, I can't count the number of times, uh, maybe this has happened to you, when, when, this, when I've gotten up in the night and I've stubbed my toe or, or bumped into the door frame. I, I didn't want to turn on the light or tripped over something on the floor. And, and maybe you've experienced this, right? When you've walked into your child's room at night because they're crying and he's crying. And no, no doubt at that moment, you ba- banished every last piece of, of Lego to the depths of the abyss, right? <laughs> when you stepped on that, that, that little block perfectly designed to inflict maximum pain. You felt it. You know that feeling, right? You can't see, right? Now, I can't imagine how difficult it is to navigate when you don't have the option of turning on the light of your eyes, right? Now, even more, even more difficult, how difficult it is to be righteous when you're in spiritual darkness. Verses, uh, chapter 27, verse 1, we're told there, Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now, right away, we're, we're told of Isaac's physical limitation because we need to know that because it sets up how Rebecca and Jacob's deception was even possible, right? But without the use of his eyes, Isaac depended on touch and smell. Certainly, as we discover in the story, less reliable and more easily duped. But get this, Isaac's blindness was not only physical. Recall, as we've unpacked the story, he called Esau and told him to hunt and kill and prepare a meal so that he could bless him. Now, as we're thinking about this, why would Isaac do that? Esau had already sold his birthright because he thought little of it. He despised it, we're told. Well, the, the Holy Spirit interpreted that action on Esau's part in Hebrews 12, verse 16, as Esau being immoral, unholy in this. So there was the birthright, that was in a previous chapter. And now we're talking about the blessing. So, so we need to figure this out. What's, what's the difference? Well, first of all, the birthright. That's the firstborn's right of inheritance. And that firstborn was entitled to a double, double portion of the estate. So in, in this case, two-thirds of the estate would go to the firstborn. The other third would be divided among the rest. The double portion. And with that birthright was ultimately a place of leadership over the father's estate after the father's death. An important thing, but Esau despised it. Now the blessing, how's that different? Well, it's, it's, it's related. That blessing was a pronouncement about the future, a declaration of prosperity and success. And it would be very logical for that birthright and blessing to go to the same son. Now back to why he called Esau. Why did he call Esau in and said, I want to bless you? I do not doubt that Isaac was aware of the oracle that the Lord gave to Rebekah. The older will serve the younger. Again, 
that was from the Lord, yet he favored Esau. Now, we're told why back in chapter 25. Chapter 25, verse 27, it says there, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, if you're looking at that, I think it would, if it strikes you like it does me, it seems kind of trivial. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. (laughs) So when Jacob showed up with the cooked meat, the smell wafted into Isaac's nostrils and he set aside his reason and objectivity and assumed it was Esau. Now think about this. Esau traded his birthright for a pot of stew. That's where we find out that Esau despised his birthright. But he he traded it to his brother Jacob because he was hungry. He came in from hunting and he was famished. And Jacob was cooking stew. And he said, give me some of that. Jacob said, you can have it. Just sell me your birthright. Threw it away. So Esau traded that for a pot of stew. Isaac, Isaac was willing to give his blessing to Esau contrary to the word from God for a meal of wild game. (laughs) Not that much different. So whether it's intentional or not here, Isaac is blind to Esau's character. He is blind to Rebekah's favoritism, clearly. He is blind to Jacob's conniving. But most of all, he is blind to the truth that God had revealed about his sons. Intentional or not, he's just simply set it aside. And like I said, blindness isn't just physical. And the remedy to spiritual blindness, that's faith. What faith in God does is it it removes the scales from your eyes. And it is only by faith that we can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. And that faith is a gift from God to know God and experience his mercy and grace. So let me just say this. If you trust instinct and experience over what God has clearly revealed, if you trust feelings over God's revelation, if your desires are informed by your stomach or any other fleshly craving, then you are spiritually blind. And make no mistake, the adversary wants to keep you in the dark. Satan does not want you to see Christ. He wants to drag you down to hell with him. This matters. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let me ask you this morning, have your eyes been opened? Have you seen with the eyes of faith Christ crucified and raised? Have you seen that? And if you have not, some of you watching online, if you have not, let me urge you, humbly ask God to reveal the truth to you. He can overcome your blindness. Well, finally, this last heading is simply blessing. Blessing. Now, we make 
all the time. We make choices and decisions based on what we think is best in the moment. And, and some of those choices we make involve extensive uh, deliberation, research perhaps. Others are made simply out of habit, right, or, or immediate desire. You chose to be here this morning. And for some, that was simply, well, this is what we always do. Others had to make a choice against some competing interest. But how does God factor into your decision, ultimately, to believe in him and trust Christ for eternal life? How does God factor into that? That's the more important question. Now, in this battle for blessing, you see in our text of Scripture, the interactions between Esau and Isaac, Rebecca and Jacob and Isaac, what it does, it reveals the divine will operating despite, but also including human actions informed by both bitterness and blindness. That's a long statement. Let me say it again. We see this reveals the, uh, the divine will operating in spite of, but also enveloping and including the actions, the sinful actions informed by both bitterness and blindness. Again, mind you what happened. Rebecca overheard Isaac telling Esau that he's going to bless him, right? After he brings this feast of wild game. Again, Rebecca tells Jacob, prepare a goat. You're going you're gonna to dupe your father. Use the skins on, on your arms. Make, him, make you seem hairy like Esau. And then, then put on Esau's best garment. And, and Isaac was fooled by touching Jacob's seemingly hairy arms. And, and the waft of Esau's garments convinced him. Convinced him. It's Esau. Intending it for that blessing to be for Esau. This is the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob. Again, this is Isaac's intent, giving it to Esau. But Jacob hears this. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now the language here, especially at the end of that, that blessing, the language of that blessing is very much like the blessing the Lord gave to Abraham. Now, I don't doubt here that Isaac intentionally included that language. And I got to say, this is outright disobedience on the part of Isaac in his intention to bless Esau. Remember, the Lord told him, the older will serve the younger. And even though it was against tradition, even though against, against kind of social protocol, Jacob was to receive the blessing. Isaac chose Esau. But Jacob chose to deceive Isaac, and he duped him into getting the blessing. So, when God told Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. Here's the question I want you to be thinking through. Is it because God looked into the future and saw what would happen? Or did God's choice precede these events? The question is this, whose decision was ultimate? Now, this is theology. 
as we think about the very nature of God himself, if God were to adjust his prophetic word based on future human decisions, that would mean he changes. That's to say, if he looked down, as it were, the corridors of time to, to observe how things would unfold and then adjust his prophetic word to match up with the outworking as he see human events, it would mean God is potentially changed. And that's just not possible. This is what the Lord declared through the prophet Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now why would God say such a thing? See, God made a promise to Israel, and, and even their rebellious behavior would not move him to destroy them. God followed through with his promise. So God's favor to Jacob as the namesake of the nation was decided before the two of the brothers were born. And so I'm quoting, the Apostle Paul quoting both Genesis and Malachi, the Apostle Paul wrote this about God's choice. And in fact, even in the ESV translation, it says in that section in Romans 9, God's sovereign choice. This is what it says. We read this together. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, so we might say deserving, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So we have to get this. It is because of him who calls. Not because either of them did anything good or bad. In fact, in the story, we see both of them acted in evil ways. Different, but evil ways. The, the logical outworking of this truth about how God elects must envelop a right understanding of God's will and how it operates. Now, I want to tell you, there are two aspects of God's will that theologians kind of put in categories, and one is subordinate to the other, and I'll explain them. And so these are titles, these aren't biblical titles, but they're simply ways of thinking about God's will and how it operates. There is God's decretive will, right, or will of decree. And what that is, is God's sovereign governance over all things to accomplish his eternal purposes. So, for example, before time and creation, God ordained what would be. And here's just one example about Jesus, exaltation, the Son of God in Philippians 2. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Before creation, before the universe, before anything, God determined that his own son in human form would be exalted. Before time, God promised a seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and a host of other prophetic promises. The will of God's decree. This must and will happen. But then there's another aspect of God's will, which is called his preceptive will. Not perceptive, not as in seeing, but precept in, in terms of precepts, uh, commands, like the Ten Commandments. And people break these all the time so that God's will is in effect not accomplished, right? So when somebody bears false witness, God's will is not 
being done. It's his will of precept, and God permits his will of precept to be disobeyed. Sometimes he does not and intervenes. And we see that on display in our Bible text. He permitted bitterness and blindness. But all that to say, the actions of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob were all subordinate and indeed in the service of his decretive will, his will of decree. So the sinful acts on the part of humans are all used in service of the thing that he has decreed in the first place. The older will serve the younger. Jacob did receive the blessing. So get this. It's important to understand it. While Jacob stole the blessing from his brother, he never stole it from God. By his actions, what Jacob did was only prove that he was no more worthy than Esau to receive it. Now, this of course raises another question. If God enfolds the sinful acts of men into his purposes, is he then somehow responsible for that sin? That's an accusation or a, or a, a logical uh, uh, criticism of this doctrine that I've heard before, read about it. Could Jacob say, God made me deceive my father? Could Jacob say that? Well, absolutely not. James, in his letter, writes this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. A perfect example of, of, this, of this way that God enfolds the sinful actions of humanity into his decretive will is from the Apostle Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. This is beautiful. He's describing the sinful actions of man with the plan of God. Acts chapter 2, 22 through 24. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God determined that he would be and planned that he would be delivered up. That was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But he, Peter says to the crowd, you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So God planned for Jesus to be crucified and the men who did it were lawless. Likewise, God determined that Jacob would receive the blessing through Isaac and even Isaac understood that when it was given, it was irrevocable. So when, when Isaac discovered the deception he effectively told Esau that he was now powerless to do anything about it. Verse 33, I've blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. In that situation there, Esau begged Isaac for his own unique blessing. I think he wanted him to change his mind. He said, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. Now, I'm not saying that Isaac would have thought about it this way, but, but Isaac was constrained by God's decretive Will And what he did is he instead uttered a kind of anti-blessing for Esau. And that anti-blessing was in full agreement with the very oracle that Rebekah had received when she was pregnant. Behold, this is the anti-blessing. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. 
the, the, way that, the way that Isaac expressed this, he was constrained by God's decretive will. And he ultimately told Isaac what would be, what had already been determined. Now, I don't know what was going on in Isaac's head that he said this. You think, well, I, I got to say something good. But he didn't. He just told exactly what Esau should expect. You see, God blesses according to his own plan, not the actions of people. God blesses not based on your performance in advance. God blesses not based on your ability to obey him in advance. God blesses simply for no other reason to say that he has chosen to bless. And if you're in Christ today, it is because God ordained it to be. It was his decretive and irrevocable will. As Ephesians 1 says, Blessed. This is lengthy, but I want you to I want you to revel in these words. If you're in Christ today, this is this is you. Just listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his decretive will before the foundations of the earth. If you're in Christ today, it's because God chose to save you. And you're living, walking, breathing example of God's irrevocable blessing. And because God decreed it, nothing can thwart it. And so I, I think what this should do, it should be, uh, give you an amazing comfort. It should give you cause for praise. And I know the temptation is to look at those that have not been saved and maybe blame God. Why? Why don't you save them? And I don't have an answer for that. But the scriptures, and it's a hard word. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. And rather than impugn the character of God, what we have to do, brothers and sisters in Christ, is just simply thank him. Thank him for the immensity of his grace in our lives. I think as C.S. Lewis once said, the amazing thing is not that God's, God saves one and not another. The amazing thing, given who we are, given our rebellion against God, the amazing thing is that God saves anyone at all. So when you think about God's electing grace, be amazed.
that God saved you. Thank God for his mercy. And because he's poured out his mercy, that should change everything about you, right? It should change what you do in the next moment, the decisions you make, because God has been merciful. You were not welcomed into the family of God because you did anything good or bad, but simply because God chose to use you as an object of his mercy and grace. And he's going to put you on display before all creation. And there's nothing in you that's going to say, I, I did anything to get here. And when we stand before the Lord and experience that, that glory, the glory of Jesus, we're going to look at Christ and say, thank you. That's all. And we'll praise him. And because God is sovereign over all things, we get this now, don't we? He rules over the means by which he accomplishes his purposes. So he embraces, without affirming it, the bitterness and blindness of Isaac and Esau, and Jacob and Rebekah, and folds that into his plan to ultimately accomplish his purpose. God rules over evil actions in such a way that he brings out good. And so when we're looking at the things that go on in the world around us, when evil is done to you, know that God is going to unfold it into his purposes. Somehow, some way, you may not see this in your lifetime, but God will do that. When you suffer and grieve for the loss of a loved one, know somehow, some way, God is going to unfold that into his purposes. When you feel profoundly lonely, no that God will enfold that into his eternal purposes. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, oft quoted, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those that are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal of this, right? In order that he that is Christ, might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's done. We're still waiting for glory. But in God's eyes, it's done. It's done. Well, of course, sin is an offense to God. And you and I are responsible for our sin, and we need to repent of it. But if you are a child of God, God can and indeed will use that sin somehow to accomplish his purposes in your life. That's not permission to sin. It's just understanding God will enfold it in somehow. He will do what is ever for your eternal good. Why? Because when God determines to bless you, with true repentance for your spiritual blindness and bitterness that you have caused. And when he determines to mark you as a child, as his own child, when he determines to open your eyes to Jesus Christ crucified for your sins and raised for eternal life, when God determines to fill you with his Holy Spirit, when God determines that you will be blessed with eternal fellowship with him in Christ, it will happen. And nothing 
at all can thwart God's sovereign choice. I trust that that is your confidence today, brothers and sisters. I trust that that gives you an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful, grateful that you have, by your decree, for those of us that belong to you, um, Lord, you've called us to yourself, opened our eyes. And we see that we've done nothing to deserve it, either good or bad. And you've poured out your love upon us. And now, because of that, nothing can separate us from your love in Christ. You've said that. So thank you for saving us. And Lord, we know that your saving work is not done. And so while we wait for loved ones who are far from you now, we know that indeed you can and will save some who have rejected you to this point because you're a God of mercy. And while we do not get a, a, a glimpse into your eternal purposes, all of them, we know you are good. And you always do what is good. First, for the exaltation of your eternal son. And second, for our eternal joy in him. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.